नमस्कार वेलकम टू वर्ल्ड न्यूज एंड इंडियन पर्सपेक्टिव ऑन ऑल इंडिया रेडियो दिस इज रेशमा तिवारी एंड विद मी इज मनोज सिंह राणा ब्रिंगिंग ग्लिम्सेज ऑफ द मेजर डेवलपमेंट्स ऑफ द डे फ्रॉम अक्रॉस द ग्लोब ओवर द नेक्स्ट हाफ एन आवर वी शैल ब्रिंग यू द लेटेस्ट फ्रॉम द वर्ल्ड ऑफ पॉलिटिक्स इकोनॉमी स्पोर्ट्स एंटरटेनमेंट एंड मोर The headlines G7 leaders commit to the Qabis Bay declaration to prevent future global pandemics Saudi Arabia restricts annual Hajj pilgrimage to its own citizens and residents IMF welcomes India's decision to facilitate access to vaccination and ramp up the production of essential medicines to fight the COVID-19 pandemic New Global Infrastructure Initiative Build Back Better World B3W launched by G7 leaders to counter China's Belt and Road Initiative. External Affairs Minister of India Dr S Jay Shankar holds discussion with Kenyan counterpart Rachel Omamo on bilateral cooperation. And in French Open tennis, Barbara Krejcikova beats Anastasia Pavlichenkova in the women's singles final to win maiden Grand Slam title. As many states are relaxing lockdown norms, we advise our listeners not to lower their guard as the COVID-19 pandemic remains a threat to our health. Please stay at home unless it is essential to go out and continue to follow the four simple steps. Wear a face mask, maintain 2 gaz ki doori for social distancing, focus on hand and face hygiene and get vaccinated. For any COVID related information and guidance, contact National Helpline numbers 011 2397-8046 and 1075. And now the news in detail. The G7 leaders have committed to the Qabis Bay Declaration to prevent a global pandemic from ever happening again. The declaration sets out a series of concrete commitments to prevent any repeat of the human and economic devastation wreaked by coronavirus. It is an attempt at ensuring that the devastation caused by COVID-19 is never repeated. Pandemic Preparedness Partnership published an independent report titled 100 Days Mission to Respond to Future Pandemic Threats. The document contains actionable recommendations on how governments and others can quickly respond to any future outbreaks. Britain's Prime Minister Boris Johnson hailed the development as a proud and historic moment. A statement issued by the UK government said that controlling zoonotic diseases is a key element of PM Johnson's five-point plan for preventing future pandemics set out at the UN last year. Director General of the World Health Organization Dr. Tedros Adhanom welcomed the Qabis Bay Health Declaration. In a statement, Dr. Tedros said that there is a need to build on the significant scientific and collaborative response to the COVID-19 pandemic and find common solutions to address many of the gaps identified. To this end, he added, the WHO welcomes and will take forward the UK's proposals for a global pandemic radar, which is a global surveillance system to detect new epidemic and pandemic risks. The International Monetary Fund has welcomed the announcement by the Indian government to facilitate access to vaccination and ramp up the production of essential medicines to fight the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Prime Minister Narendra Modi on Monday announced that the central government will provide free coronavirus vaccine to states for inoculation of all above the age of 18 from the 21st of June. He asserted that vaccine supply would be increased significantly in the country in coming days to fight the COVID-19 pandemic. IMFS spokesperson Gary Rice said that the IMF welcomes the Indian government's announcement to facilitate access to vaccinations and to provide additional support to minimize the social costs of the pandemic. Meanwhile, India has administered more than 24 crore 93 lakh doses of COVID-19 vaccine in the country so far. The health ministry said more than 31 lakh 50 thousand vaccine doses were administered on Friday out of which more than 28,48,000 beneficiaries were vaccinated for the first dose and more than 3 lakh beneficiaries received the second dose of the vaccine. The country had launched the world's largest vaccination drive on the 16th of January this year. The Union Health Ministry and Chairman of the Empowered Group on Vaccine Administration, EGVAC, have refuted the claim of hackers on the dark web relating to alleged data leak on COVID. EGVAC Chairman Dr. R.S. Sharma said, The matter of the alleged hacking of the COVID system has been investigated by the Computer Emergency Response Team of the Ministry of Electronics and Information Technology. Dr. Sharma said the government continues to take appropriate steps to ensure that data of the people is safe with COVID. Now let's take a look at the coronavirus updates from around the world. Saudi Arabia has restricted the annual Hajj pilgrimage to its own citizens and residents. The decision for the second year running is in response to the coronavirus pandemic. In a statement on Saturday, the Kingdom's Hajj and Umrah ministry said the religious ceremony will be limited to 60,000 pilgrims between the ages of 18 to 65 who have been vaccinated against COVID-19. All participants must either be citizens or residents of Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabian Health Minister Tawfiq al-Rabia said that the decision was made to guarantee the safety of Hajj amid uncertainty over the coronavirus. He added that despite the availability of vaccines, there is uncertainty over the virus and some countries still record high numbers of COVID cases with different variants of the virus. The European Medicines Agency Agency EMA said on Friday that some batches of the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine should not be used. Vaccines in the EU have been affected by a contamination in the U.S. manufacture of Johnson & Johnson vaccines. About 60 million doses in the U.S. will have to be discarded. The American Food and Drug Administration, FDA, announced Friday that several batches from the Baltimore plant where they were made would have to be thrown out. The ongoing closures of educational institutions in Bangladesh has been further extended till June the 30th. The current closure of schools, colleges and universities was coming to an end on Saturday, June the 12th. The press release issued by the Ministry of Education on Saturday said that the closure will also include Ibtidai and Qomi Madarsas of the country. The move has been made in order to contain the spread of the coronavirus in the country. The closure of educational institutions is done considering the health and safety of students, teachers, staff and guardians of the students following the advice of the National Advisory Committee on COVID-19, said the release. In today's hotspot section, we bring you a discussion on the GST Council meeting held on Saturday. The participants are Shubhamoy Bhattacharya, Economic Analyst, and Sonu Sood, 
AIR correspondent. 15 days after the 43rd meeting, the 44th meeting of PGST Council was held today, where recommendations of the group of ministers regarding rationalization of GST on COVID relief material were considered and decisions were taken based on these recommendations. Shubhavai, can you tell us about the significance of the formation of the GUM and the significance of today's meeting? The GST Council has been meeting, in fact, the GST Council had met in October and then because of the pandemic and lots of other reasons, it was not able to meet and it has met only now and then this was in may when the gst council met and obviously because of the such a long delay there was a lot of things that was on its plate chiefly the major things that was there was whether there should be a duty cut on medical equipment and medicines because of the pandemic now there were two demands that was there from several states one was that it should be exempted and the other was that it should be not exempted but the rate should be brought down to zero because zero is also a rate under gst so that was the condition on which the gst council meeting there was a discussion and because of that the gst council decided to set up a group of ministers in that meeting to decide what should be the appropriate uh, rates or whether there should be exemptions and as expected the group of ministers have decided that the rates should be lower for almost everything uh, which has something to do with the pandemic so all the medicines medical equipments oxygen canisters and all the other things uh, the rates will be lower especially those which are being imported from abroad so even if they are being imported on a personal basis they will now get a lower rate of duty medicines oxygen and oxygen generation equipment testing kits and machines and other covid related uh, relief material like pulse oximeters hand sanitizers there are about 18 broad categories of uh, products which have been brought under the ambit of this decision so you feel that this will be a big relief for the patients who are using these equipment or even a common man who in order to prevent uh, getting this disease is uh, using many of these products essentially it reduces the cost of medical care for those uh, who have facing the covid pandemic and that is the major cost of today's exercise that the rates of duties have been brought down substantially now of course many of these items as you know sonu are basically those for which india does never adequate production capacity and these needed to be imported lower duty essentially helps people get access to these items at a lower price and that's and the price reductions are quite substantial so it is therefore beneficial it was also beneficial because covid and its impact no one can say for sure that there will be not be any other waves or there will not be any other times when it will not be needed so reduction in the cost is definitely something that should be welcomed so how soon do you feel these new tax rates will be operational on most of the items either the taxes have been lower and uh, we find that on vaccines they have been retained at uh, 5% so how soon will these lower tax rates be operational so now gst council has decided i mean they'll be written in the rules so that would come along immediately i mean in the sense that that will be for any consignment and everything the ministers group would have decided that it should be either with effect from say 
future date or from a back or from a date going back, depending on what the tax officials do. These are the points. Once the decision has been used, has been done, and the decision has been sort of accepted, and that is what the advantage of having such GOM card, then it's easy to write the rules which best reflect that those decisions. It was not possible otherwise when ministers, as uh, we saw in several cases in the past few months, when there was wrangling, that was not helpful. But now with a unanimity, with willingness to accept each other's point of view, the decisions would be useful and decisions would be implemented. All these COVID-related products, uh, most of them, the GST has been brought down to 5%. Now, vaccines, uh, there was hope uh, that uh, the GST will be reduced, but that has been retained at uh, 5%. How do you see this decision in light of the fact that now the new system will come into effect where government will be buying 75% of the vaccines? Well, you know, essentially, as I said, there was a discussion that whether some of the items should be zero rate. Now, exemption and zero rate is not the same thing. Exemption means they go out of the GST. That would have been unfortunate for the manufacturing of whichever product, because that would have meant that they wouldn't be able to take a GST advantage. Zero rating is, of course, a rate by itself, and that allows manufacturers to take the advantage. In the GST scheme of taxation, exempted taxes are exemption means that the item is out of the pale of GST, which means that a manufacturer, if she produces a particular good, she cannot take an input tax credit. That acts as a disincentive, which is why exemption from GST is not a good idea. But a zero tax rate, when a council says that this rate is zero and writes it as zero, is not the same thing. It means that the rate of tax is zero and the company can take an input tax credit. But even if you take that as zero rate, what happens is that the companies within the input tax credit becomes so low that it becomes difficult for the company to get any substantial benefit by staying in the GST scheme mechanism. A vaccine by itself is not just the, the chemical that is being produced, but there's a lot of it that is also comes into it. There are lots of manufactured items go into the preparation of a vaccine. And it will become counterintuitive for companies for, uh, and it doesn't help them if the input tax rate is so low. That means they essentially, the government at some stage, in the center of the state, will have to come up with a mechanism to give them ways to take advantage of the input tax rate. It just complicates life. So a low tax rate is fine. A zero tax rate is too much of a good thing. It doesn't really help too much in terms of the advantage of uh, keeping a manufacturing process going on. A certain amount of taxation of any goods is essential, and that is what the combined wisdom of the group of ministers has been. In view of the pandemic, you feel that the decision that has come in today about reduction in uh, the GST on many COVID-related uh, relief materials, be it medicines, oxygen equipment, testing kits, or other COVID-related uh, material, you feel that will be a big boost for the sentiment of people and also their financial, it will provide them financial relief? Certainly it will. And I would actually look at it in a different way. I'll say it's a much broader thing. The GST process between the center and the states over the last year and a half had got slightly acrimonious. And this was not good for the economy. It was actually also creating uncertainty for companies in not just medicine, but in several other sectors that how the GST formula or the GST process would be working out. Now, this is one of the most major taxes that we have in India. If there is dispute or if there is uncertainty 
about how the tax is going to be administered, then that does no good to the economy. Remember, we have now had a lockdown and because of which there has been quite a bit of an impact on the economy. When the economy is recovering, the signal that goes from today's meeting on, and rather today's announcement is that the center and the states are willing to work together, take quick decisions and appropriate decisions which help the economy, which helps manufacturing units, whether in goods sector or within services, to take decisions without being bothered or without being apprehensive about, say, a turnaround in GST rules and stuff. So I think this is the larger signal that you are essentially able to reconcile differences and are able to create an environment which allows for a faster revival of production in the economy. And I think that is how it should be read. Thank you so much, Shubhamai. Thank you. This is All India Radio giving you the world news. The group of seven will seek to rival China's multi-trillion dollar belt and road initiative by announcing a global infrastructure plan to help developing nations. A statement from the White House said that President Biden and G7 partners agreed to launch the bold new global infrastructure initiative, Build Back Better World, B3W. The statement describes the initiative as a values-driven, high-standard and transparent infrastructure partnership led by major democracies to help narrow the over $40 trillion infrastructure need in the developing world, which has been exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. The B3W will collectively catalyze hundreds of millions, billions of dollars of infrastructure investment for low- and middle-income countries in the coming years, the statement added. According to a senior U.S. official, the GS, G7 is trying to find a coherent response to the growing assertiveness of China. Leaders of the G7 want to use their gathering to show the world that the richest democracies can offer an alternative to China's growing clout. The U.S. official said that until now, the West had failed to offer a positive alternative to the lack of transparency, poor environmental and labor standards and coercive approach of the Chinese government that had left many countries worse off. The official added that the U.S. would also push the other G7 leaders for concrete action on forced labor in China and to include criticism of Beijing in their final communique from a three-day summit in southwest England. China's Belt and Road Initiative, BRI, is a multi-trillion dollar infrastructure scheme that China launched in 2013 involving development and investment initiative that would stretch from Asia to Europe and beyond. More than 100 countries have signed agreements with China to cooperate in BRI projects like railways, ports, highways and other infrastructure. The Japanese government has requested consultation with the government of China under the WTO agreement regarding its measures imposing anti-dumping duties on stainless products from Japan. In a statement on Friday, Japan's foreign ministry said that Japan considers the anti-dumping measure to be inconsistent with the relevant WTO provisions. It added that the Chinese authorities' determination and its investigation procedures were flawed. 
Japan said that it has repeatedly asked China to abolish the AD measure at the WTO and in bilateral meetings but has failed to resolve the issue. Therefore, it has requested consultations under the WTO agreement. In Afghanistan, two blasts in buses killed seven people in western Kabul on Saturday. According to the police, the explosions took place in a neighborhood largely inhabited by the minority Hazra community, where similar attacks on buses earlier this month killed 12 civilians. Kabul's police spokesman Bashir Mujahid added that six people have also been wounded. It was not immediately clear who was behind the attacks. Violence has been rising as foreign forces withdraw from the country by the 11th of September and efforts to broker a peace settlement between the Afghan government and the insurgent Taliban have slowed. The Hazra community has also been the target of a number of attacks from the Islamic State militant group. In May, an unclaimed attack on a school in the area left around 80, mostly school girls, dead. External Affairs Minister Dr. S.J. Shankar on Saturday held discussions with his Kenyan counterpart Rachel Omamo on bilateral cooperation. In a tweet, Dr. J. Shankar said they had a detailed exchange on regional and global issues as two UNSC members. He's on a three-day visit to Kenya. In Nairobi, Dr. Jay Shankar will also meet with other ministers of the Kenyan government to take forward the India-Kenya relationship. The development partnership is an important aspect of the relationship between the two countries, which the visit will seek to deepen. The minister will also interact with the thriving Indian origin community, an important bridge between the two countries. India and Kenya are currently serving in the United Nations Security Council. They are also members of the Commonwealth. Kenya is an active member of the African Union with which India has long-standing ties. India's Defence Minister Rajnath Singh has approved the policy on archiving, declassification, compilation and publication of war and operations histories by the Ministry of Defence. The Defence Ministry has said that according to the policy, records should ordinarily be declassified in 25 years. It said that records older than 25 years should be appraised by archival experts and transferred to the National Archives of India once the war and operations histories have been compiled. The Ministry has said that the History Division will be responsible for coordination with various departments while compiling, seeking approval and publishing. The policy mandates constitution of a committee headed by the Joint Secretary in the Defence Ministry and comprising of representatives of the services, Ministry of External Affairs, Ministry of Home Affairs and other organisations and prominent military historians if required for compilation. The policy also set clear timelines with regard to compilation and publication of war and operations histories. The Meteorological Department of Bangladesh has advised the maritime ports of Chattogram, Cox's Bazar, Mongla and Paira to hoist the local cautionary signal number 3 as a low pressure area has formed over the northwest bay and the adjoining coastal areas. According to the latest warning message of the Med Department, under the influence of the depression, deep convection current is taking place over North Bay and adjoining coastal areas. Squally weather is predicted for the maritime ports, North Bay and adjoining areas. All fishing boats and trawlers over the North Bay have been asked to come close to the coast and proceed with caution till further notice. 
In Sports Roundup, All India Radio brings you the latest news updates from the world of sports throughout the day. In the French Open, Barbora Krejcikova of Czech Republic has won the women's singles French Open title by defeating 31st seeded Anastasia Pavluchenkova of Russia 6-1-2-6-6-4. The men's doubles final between home favourites Pierre Hugues Herbert and Nicolas Mahout and the duo of Alexander Buplik and Andrei Golubev of Kazakhstan is underway. The Euro 2020 match between Denmark and Finland has been called off as Denmark's Christian Eriksson collapsed on the pitch during the match. Earlier, Wales played out a 1-1 draw with Switzerland in the Group A encounter. Italy beat Turkey 3-0 on Friday in the first match of Euro Cup 2020. With less than 50 days to go for Tokyo Olympic Games, Indian sportspersons are leaving no stones unturned to give their best performances at the Games. Today in Tokyo Olympic Series, All India Radio brings you a story about India's 69kg category boxer Vikas Krishan. Indian boxers have been performing well in Olympic Games. During Tokyo Olympics, nine Indian boxers have gained the quota, including four women and five men boxers. Vikas Krishna, born on 10th February 1992 in Hisar, Haryana, is an experienced fighter who has more than 10 years of brilliant boxing career. He made the nation proud by winning gold medals in 2010 Asian Games and 2018 Commonwealth Games. Vikas led India for the first time during 2012 London Olympic. After Vijinder Singh, he is only the second Indian boxer to have earned the Olympic quota three times. Vikas will try to improve his 2016 Rio Olympics quarterfinal finish and win a medal this time. He said that he joined boxing due to encouragement by his father. Boxing my father ki choice thi. He wanted to be strong. That's why he put me in boxing in 2001 Vikas shared thoughts on his coaching and previous Olympic experiences. Whole country's wishes and expectations are with Vikas Krishna that he will be able to register his name among the medals tally for India. Siddharth Singh sports this. Now let us take a look at the major developments around the world as reported in the foreign press. Washington Post writes that Joe Biden asks G7 to take a tougher line on China, but not all allies are enthusiastic. New York Times reports that much of the West U.S. is experiencing the worst drought in decades. Financial Times reports that Boris Johnson set to delay lockdown easing in England by one month. Khalid Times writes that doubts remain over the controversial South American football tournament Copa America. Himalayan Times writes that in a bid to address the COVID-19 crisis, Denmark has decided to provide medical equipment to Nepal and other four countries. The United Nations Development Programme India has lauded the Aspirational Districts Programme as a very successful model of local area development. It said this programme should serve as the best practice for several other countries where regional disparities in development status persist for many reasons. It was stated in an independent appraisal report handed over by the UNDP India resident representative Shokonoda to Niti Aayog Vice Chairman Dr. Rajiv Kumar and CEO Amitabh Kant. 
The Aspirational Districts Program was launched by Prime Minister Narendra Modi in January 2018 as part of the government's effort to raise the living standards of its citizens and ensure inclusive growth for all. The 12th of June is the World Day Against Child Labour. The theme of this year's World Day Against Child Labour is Act Now, End Child Labour. Ahead of World Day Against Child Labour, a report by UNICEF and International Labour Organization, ILO, said the number of children in child labour has risen to 160 million worldwide, an increase of 8.4 million children in the last four years. The COVID-19 pandemic has pushed millions on the brink of poverty and child labour is directly linked to it. The International Labour Organization, ILO, launched the World Day Against Child Labour in 2002 to focus attention on the global extent of child labour and the action and efforts needed to eliminate it. A quick look at the headlines once again. G7 leaders commit to the Carbis Bay Declaration to prevent future global pandemics. Saudi Arabia restricts annual Hajj pilgrimage to its own citizens and residents. IMF welcomes India's decision to facilitate access to vaccination and ramp up the production of essential medicines to fight the COVID-19 pandemic. New global infrastructure initiative Build Back Better World, B3W, launched by G7 leaders to counter China's Belt and Road Initiative. External Affairs Minister of India Dr. S. J. Shankar holds discussions with Kenyan counterpart Rachel Omamo on bilateral cooperation and in French Open tennis, Babura Krachikova beats Anastasia Pavlichenkova in the women's single final to win maiden Grand Slam title. India is celebrating the 151st birth anniversary of Mahatma Gandhi. Before we end, let us listen to his favorite bhajan, Vaishnav Jan, by artists from Russia on their national day. And with that, we end this bulletin. We'll be back at the same time tomorrow with the next edition of World News.